Hello and welcome to Broader View. Broader View is a podcast that explores a fresh, modern approach to current issues around sexual health and lifestyle, told through personal stories and experiences. I go to this group and a couple of girls were like, oh, they shouldn't learn it so young, like it's not going to happen and stuff like that. But it's, of course it is at some point and you need to know how to deal with it. When I tried to talk about this kind of thing at school, I was basically just sent to child psychiatry. It was very like, this is how not to get pregnant, this is how not to get raped. Like that was our sex education. Oh, and also your body's gonna go through these changes. Um, I was like, okay, great, now I'm terrified of everything. Hello, my name is Morel Harris and I am an NHS clinical nurse specialist in sexual health and contraception. My passion for this podcast is to raise awareness, remove stigma and create understanding to give you a new perspective on a variety of sometimes controversial subjects. Teenage pregnancy, sexual orientation and gender, topics which are not always commonly talked about. And in this episode, we will be exploring sex and relationship education in our schools. Are we delivering good quality teaching to young people or are we failing to give them what they need to make informed, healthy and safe decisions? The current curriculum was written in the year 2000 when the internet was in its infancy. There was little social media and no mobile phones in our pockets. Gender diversity was not discussed and heterosexual couples were promoted as the norm. The government recently launched a consultation to look at updating the curriculum and see what needs to be included to equip young people with the information to make educated decisions based on fact and not myth. In this episode of Broader View, we will be talking to top professionals to gather information and to young people to explore their personal experiences of sex education in the classroom. I started by meeting Lisa Hallgarten from the Young People's Sexual Health and Wellbeing Charity, Brook, in a busy central London cafe. I'm the policy manager at Brook and I try to ensure that everyone working for Brook can input into the wider policy conversation, the public policy conversation about young people's health, their sexual health and well-being. And I've been working very closely with the Department for Education, amongst other charities in the sector, on ensuring that the guidance that's going to go to schools for 2019 will really help teachers to provide good quality sex and relationships education. The last guidance was written in 2000 and there's lots that's really good about that guidance actually and we hope that the the baby isn't thrown out with the bathwater but there's a huge amount missing. It was written before young people had access to the internet and that has made an enormous difference to the issues that have um, and, and sort of challenges that young people face. I thought I'd do my own focus group on young adults to explore their experiences of sexual and relationship education at their schools. Hi, I'm Layla. I'm Anna. I'm 23 and I left school in 2011. My name's Bella. I'm 21. When do you remember having your first sex education class? I remember being really young. Probably about year three, so maybe, is that eight? I think yeah, so. eight, nine. Right, okay. Um, and we watched a video. What was it? It was... It was the tickling one. Yes. <laughs> if you, if you yeah, know yeah. What? It's what basically it? a cartoon I well. of um, two stick people. And it was trying to explain why people have sex. And it was like, when two people like each other, they want to have fun, um, 
it was the animation of these two stick people and they were chasing each other around the room with a feather w given like the age it was quite progressive but I then I don't remember having any sense of what sex actually was as in penis and vagina until I was about 10 so I don't think it really translated another one was watching a baby be born and that was, I found it really amazing, but also really terrifying. But I remember the reactions around me, all the boys were like, Ugh, Ugh. <laughs> It's law now that all secondary schools will have to deliver relationships and sex education and all primary schools will have to deliver something called relationships education. Um, what they are mandated to deliver will be set out in the guidance and regulations that are being developed right now. So there's still some scope for discussion and debates and lobbying, if you like, on what that's going to look like. So how is sex and relationship education, or SRE, currently taught to young people in primary and secondary schools? Broaderview visited school nurses in Northamptonshire to hear how they work in partnership with schools to give sessions on topics like puberty and contraception. I'm Pippa Gilbert. I'm clinical lead for Northamptonshire 0-19 teams, which is health visitors and school nurses and some specialist services within that. The role of a school nurse is a public health role. So sexual health is a part of that. And as young people develop and their body changes, we start with puberty education and thinking about entering adolescence. And we go on to cover lots of different topics, thinking particularly around healthy relationships, consent and the law, the risk that young people can face from child sexual exploitation and grooming, and then going on to think about them having their own healthy relationships in adulthood, so about contraception, sexually transmitted infections, and also thinking we build it into our wellbeing workshops around building resilience, self-esteem and, and confidence. I remember one of my best friends um, got her period and she was just so scared, she just got it in the middle of the class and she didn't know what to do and I remember the mum came and all the teachers were surrounding her and it was like no one got told what happened to her she just left school and we were like so what happened to her and I think the teacher said oh she's going through a stage in her life and I was like <laughs> so it's just and we were all just confused and I remember I went home and that is one of the things that my mum has been really good at, like mm -hmm. telling me about my period and when it was going to come and yeah. that I shouldn't be scared or anything. There's a lot of talk about things being age appropriate and sometimes it's used to imply that children are being taught too much too soon, even though all the evidence shows and, and young people consistently say that they're taught too little and too late. And I would like to... Not to replace the term age-appropriate, because I think age-appropriate is important. It needs to be around this age and stage of development and ability of children to take on different kinds of information. But I'd like to add the concept of timely to that and to say, actually, young people need the information before something happens to them. So I think there's something about really thinking about, you know, not teaching puberty in year six, teaching puberty in year four, so that young girls are expecting their period when it happens and don't have to scrabble around finding the information, sometimes in a state of sheer terror. So mm. timely is really important. My name is Isabel and I'm 13 years old. Um, we learned in year seven a couple of lessons in science and we haven't done it yet in year eight. It was mainly about puberty and everything um, changing and 
the boys were a bit immature and kept on laughing, so what were just they, normal. They were just laughing? Yeah. And how did that make the girls feel? I don't know, it was just a bit uncomfortable. And your teacher, did was it he or she? Uh, it was a she, and she was she was quite good. Okay. But it was mainly about like scientific things, not really. Right, biology. Yeah, I can't really even remember anything. So do you feel it's knowledge you already had? You knew yeah, I, re- I already knew about I think it, nearly everybody in my class already knew about it. Right, so you'd already had those discussions. Yeah. What would you like to have known more about? Just the whole thing about like being careful and... Um, like what could happen if you like you, they just didn't really tell you about like what could happen and like, what do you mean could happen in what sense like um, like with this like having sex and stuff like how you could get pregnant and like AIDS and like stuff like that I just okay. didn't really talk about that kind of stuff so would you do you know how you get pregnant do you know about sex do yeah you know the basics I know but some people in my class wouldn't and right they still don't know so where would you have got your information from? Well, my older sister. So if young people can't get their knowledge from school, where are they getting it from? Is it an older sister or a mum? Or is it the internet? I think we talk about staying safe online quite a lot with children and young people. Um, what I, I don't think we're very good at is acknowledging what we want them to stay safe from. And I think it's really, really difficult to do that with cohorts of children because they're developing and exposed to different things at different rates. What about pornography? Do they teach you anything about that at all? We haven't talked about it. No. And have any of your friends looked at it online? Yeah, all of like all of the boys in my school always talk about like watching porn and stuff like that. A, a lot of the time. On the on the internet. Yeah. What, at home or Yeah, in there like they always talk about um, how they watch it at home and on their computers and stuff. There was this video the other day and someone was like, oh, um, this happened in the porn that I watched and it's true. And I was like, that is like completely... What were they saying? What I, was the... I can't remember. It was just like, you can get pregnant by like having anal or something like that. And it, I was just like, no, you can't. It's just not, not true. So actually, even just their knowledge of how you get pregnant yeah. is... is that is incorrect as well. So. Yeah. I mean, and that's not part of the curriculum that you've had so far. No, really. If we don't give young people the information they need, they will get it from their peers and it becomes a, a kind of sort of tale-telling and elaboration of weird myths or they look at pornography. And, and that's quite often when people look at pornography, either it's out of sheer curiosity because they just don't know or even more disturbing is young people just googling sexual terms that they're interested in and what they really want is information but if you google certain sexual terms pornography will pop up so quite often they're not even actively seeking pornography i think that if we gave them the information they needed which would include links to really good sites where they can get reliable information then we would be diverting a a large group of young people away from pornography. There are other ways that the internet is being used to inform young people. Hannah Witten creates video blogs and informational content for young people and is the ambassador for Brooke. She's in her 20s and remembers her own experience of being taught the facts of life in school. I have been making videos on YouTube for about seven years and um, I mostly talk about taboo subjects. So I cover a lot of sex and relationships. I genuinely believe that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and having a platform and having people who will listen to you is a form of power. 
Um, and so I take that very seriously and I want to use this platform for good and really help people and like spread these messages that I think are really important and valuable. My experience was, it was very lacklustre, it was very fear-mongering, you know, just like a one-off class on contraception. It was very like, this is how not to get pregnant, this is how not to get an STI, this is how to not get raped. Like, that was our sex education. Oh, and also your body's gonna go through these changes. Um, I was like, okay, great, now I'm terrified of everything. Secondary school, I remember being in science and learning about the cycle, like the, men uh, the menstrual cycle, and finding it completely confusing. And that would have been about 13, 14. But I didn't actually understand the cycle the until I. Right. Yeah, and, and I didn't, because it was so, it's so complicated, I didn't understand the that ovulation meant the egg, that meant the baby, um, until, yeah, quite a bit later. But, when? Um, do you remember when? Probably when my friend got pregnant. <laughs> 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 when we were 15. 15? Yeah, she got pregnant at 15? Yeah, that was, that was quite, that was quite traumatic. So what? Both of us. Did she go through me. the pregnancy? She, no, 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 she had an abortion. So really, up until that time, you hadn't understood exactly how you get pregnant? Well, I knew that it was because you don't use protection, but I didn't understand that there was times of the month when you could get pregnant mm. and there was times... I didn't understand how the cycle was connected right. to getting pregnant. So I obviously knew that when Having you have sex. sex, you can get pregnant, but... Yeah. Yeah. And then... I, yeah. My friend was actually not on any contraception at the time and just, I don't know, we just didn't think about it really. What is consistent with what we teach and what's in the policy is the delay message, which we do embed throughout all of our education. And that is really important. It's something that we all believe in and I think everyone can get behind that. The later you are when you make a healthy decision to have sex, the more likely you are to have a, an enjoyable time. Whereas if children and young people are under pressure to do it earlier, where they've got less power and less confidence and competence to communicate their needs, there's more risk. Yeah, people think that, oh, you're talking about sex to, with kids and they're going to gonna want to go off and do it all. It's like, no, actually, it has the complete opposite effect. If you give them the facts, if you give them the space to ask questions and not be shamed for asking those questions, if you give them the space to, you know, learn about these things and give them the tools of how to deal with relationships and things, then mm. they, they're going to have better and healthier relationships with others and with themselves. There's no evidence that talking about sex in a sort of education context um, encourages people to have sex. In fact, there's quite good evidence that good relationships and sex education delays first sex. It decreases the age gap between the two partners engaged in first sex, which is an important aspect of ensuring that there isn't sort of abuse of power or coercion. Um, and it increases the likelihood of using contraception at first sex. So actually most of the evidence that's out there is extremely supportive of good quality relationships and sex education. And even though there's a lot of anxiety from some quarters about sort of um, 
taking away the innocence of our children. There's not a single piece of reliable evidence that shows that giving young people information causes any form of harm. Some people, like we were talking about before, um, they just think it's so bad and it's like never going to happen. But if something like they get pregnant and they don't know, what, like they don't want to tell anyone or something, like they'll need to know how to deal with it and like if they need abortion or something like. And, like, with the LGBT and stuff like that, like, some people think it's so horrible, and uh, but it's not, and it's just, like, life. So mm-hmm. just need to, like, get over that and need to get taught that it's all right. Isabel brought up LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender community, which is the focus of Gender Identity Research and Education Society, known as GYRES. I went to visit Terry and Bernard, husband and wife, both with OBEs for their work for the charity. Having myself had the opportunity to understand from a very early age in the 1940s um, that two people of the same sex could be living together as a couple, although I didn't understand the full implications, the fact that my mother had said that to me meant that it was never an issue. And that so it's important to us now that schools from a very early age, in a very gentle way, uh, introduce to children the idea that people can be different. The idea that you can change your gender or you can choose your gender, we could not be happy with the one you were born in. Do you know anything about it or is it something you might find that you'd want to explore or know about? Um, I know a bit, but maybe learn a bit more. more. What? What would you say your knowledge is now? Um, just like um, people aren't so happy in their bodies and that they want to change and it's not so bad if they do. And How do you feel about that? Um, there's nothing wrong about it. It's just if you're not very happy in your own body, then you might just want to change. I went to Brighton to visit Sugar Swan, activist and writer on all topics trans to hear the challenges she has faced. I'm Sugar, I am a 37-year-old trans woman from Brighton. When would you say that you knew, I mean, is it something that's always been there, or was there a point you thought, actually, this is, I'm really unhappy? It's something I've always known, for me. When was the time where you thought, actually, that's it, I'm... I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to make these changes. So I guess it was when I was 30 and I realised that I didn't see a life for myself past 40, that I would have either committed suicide or died from substance abuse or transition. And I chose the right one. Mm -hmm. I tried when I was in my teens but nobody would listen to me. We had fractures section 28 at the time, so we weren't allowed to um, be spoken about at school, things like this. So when I tried to talk about this kind of thing at school, I was basically just sent to child psychiatry. What was section 28? So section 28 mm. was a piece of legislation that came under Margaret Thatcher's government that said that no within education systems or anybody treating children were allowed to talk of or publicise, as they would say it then, anything that came outside of the cis-normative, heteronormative 
propaganda of how life should be. So they weren't allowed to talk to gay kids about being gay and, you know, school teachers' jobs were at risk if they did. So how can the new curriculum make the necessary changes to include gender diversity? I spoke to Bernard and Terry at Gyres to hear about their series of educational books for primary schools. Each of the three books describes the journey of a baby penguin. Um, and the parents are not sure whether this baby penguin identifies as a girl or a boy or even something else in between. So each book um, it starts with the same little story uh, about parents just loving you for who you are um, and just being patient and waiting for you to tell them who they are. Uh, so one penguin turns out to be a girl and one turns out to be a boy and one is non-binary and e each of the little books ends with the party uh, where they celebrate uh, who the person is, who the penguin is. Uh, so they're very, very short, very Including easy to read. Yes, the, the we Non-binary penguin is called Blur. Mm. <laughs> what about the concept of having two mums or two dads, so gay, gay relationships and, um, you know, parenting? Yeah, I know quite a lot about that, but I think, like, in schools and stuff, they should teach it a bit more because a lot of people are, like, don't really... Um, agree with it and don't agree with it That's yeah a lot of my friends um don't agree with it and their families don't like they think it's disgusting and stuff like that and like one of my really close friends um when when we first started school um she was really against it and then like because I come from quite um like uh like a family where um there are a couple of like lesbians and stuff um but uh, yeah a couple of people in my class just think it's really disgusting so do you think by having that taught as something that's um a sort of normal you know part of sex education that would help those people have a broader view and understanding yeah definitely it's literally never talked about ever personally i have learned so much on this journey and i wanted to speak to lisa Hallgarten at brooke to see what brooke proposed to contribute to the new curriculum so we have been part of several expert roundtables that the Department for Education have convened to talk about what needs to be in the guidance and to talk about some of the critical issues such as what's age appropriateness and how do you judge age appropriateness, how do you manage faith and values issues, how do you make um, RSC LGBT inclusive and inclusive disabled children. So I think that's been a really constructive process um, what the next part of what the government did was put out the RSC guidance to um, consultation. They asked questions which were mostly around topic, um, and I know that it's been a really interesting process. I know that they've had a lot of responses in the in the thousands, possibly ten thousand responses. From who? Who from? It's interesting because some of those will have come from professionals, some of those will have come from sector organisations, um, some of them will have come from individuals. But we know that. There is a, a, quite a small but vocal group of people who are very anti-relationships and sex education and they've done a lot of mobilising amongst their supporters and some of their concerns are that they don't want um, LGBT relationships to be taught as being equal to heterosexual relationships. They don't want um, gender stereotypes to be pulled apart in a critical way. They want established gender stereotypes to be seen as 
the right way of maintaining relationships and I think that's quite regressive and I don't think it probably represents what most of the country feel is useful for young people to learn about but we know that they've sent an awful lot of responses and it's going to be really up to the Department for Education and the Secretary of State to decide whether they how they balance up responses from people who just against relationships with sex education altogether really with um, all the responses from professional organisations which will say yes please can we have it earlier can we have it better can we have more of it YouTuber Hannah is certain that discussing LGBT relationships is essential for the new curriculum. My sex education, even though like I was given like okay information, it was still very like heterosis normative. It was like a man and a woman have sex and this is what a man is and this is what a woman is. And there was even a trans girl in my school like a couple of years below me and like but like, where does she fit into like all of that? It needs to be in there because if you're not, if you're getting your sex education and you're like, how does this apply to me? This makes no sense. Then you're not doing your job because education needs to be accessible for everyone and needs to include everyone. I think it should be compulsory because I think every everyone, uh, and like a young age should actually learn it, and like then they should know if anything does come up like this, then they'll know how to deal with it. And it, like, if a friend or something, then I have to deal with it. And even if it doesn't come up, like, they still need to learn about it. Personally, I think it's um, I, I think it's an absolute mistake for parents to pull their children out of RSE. And I think schools need to do their best to involve parents in the conversation about RSE and to convince them that it's a good idea. And largely, schools do do that. It is a minority of parents who will withdraw their children. I think the guidance needs to say something really strong about that. It needs to make it clear that the law was changed because it was recognised that RSE supports safeguarding and supports the health and well-being of their children and that any parent who withdraws their child from that should do so knowing that they are withdrawing their child from something which is supportive health-giving and and constructive. Following the consultation, the government now has the task of shaping a sex and relationship education curriculum robust enough to meet the challenges that young people face in today's modern world. Let's hope they get it right. Thank you to everyone that took part in this episode of Broader View. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this episode of Broader View, or you simply want to share your story, please contact us on broaderviewpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media at broaderviewpod. You've been listening to Broader View, presented by Morel Harris, written by Morel Harris and Penny Bell, and edited by Miles Myersko Harris. Broader View is a WBBC production. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.